And how many of you have caught the radio show now that's on at 6? And anybody tune in at 5.30 and wonder what happened to us? Okay. I, I like it at 6, and I, I have a piece that that's where we're going to be just from now on. And so we're thankful for that, and God's good. God is good. All righty. Let's get into 1 John, which I love. I love this book, and I hope you guys will learn. Um, you know, I think a lot of things are caught more than taught. I think a lot of things are caught more than taught. And um, I hope that you'll catch from me my love of just going through the whole Bible. I just love the Word. And I think that every word is inspired of God, and it's, and it's good to get into it, look at it, study it, chew on it, glean from it. And so, uh, uh, you know, take, hey, Jude, well, there's just one chapter. But I'll guarantee you we'll be six weeks on it. And we're going to learn. We're going to learn. You people know more about your faith, I would wager, than most Christians in America. Just going through 1 John. So let's do it. And I want you to stand with me and read verse 1. And then you can sit down and I'm going to go ahead and teach. All right. You ready to read 5-1? All right. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts through it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Can everybody see that? All right. Now, we know who the Gnostics were, don't we? We know who the Gnostics were. They were the false teachers of John's day. And they were teaching, going around from house to house, gathering to gathering. And wait do you hear what Jude has to say about them. Jude, I'll tell you, John is like kindergarten compared to what Jude, Jude has to say about them. Jude just rakes them over the coals. But now here's John. He wrote 1 John because he wanted to answer the teaching of the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Now, that's in our day. You can hear that in the media. You can find it in books. I, I saw another Mr. Brilliant being interviewed this week by Fox News. He's come out with a book now saying that Jesus did not really die on the cross, but it was all a charade, and he escaped somewhere in the Middle East with his wife, Mary Magdalene, and their child. And it's it's just sailing off the bookshelves. So, folks, I'm telling you, and I'm so glad this series is going on the radio because the church has got to return to the truth that saves us. And the truth is that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. He lived among us, yet without sin, was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He was hung on the cross where he spilled his sinless blood. When that blood was spilled, it covered our sins. And when we call on the name of Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. Then he was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, literally in a literal physical resurrection. He stayed on earth for about 50 days or so, appearing to his disciples. And then he ascended into heaven in the sight of his disciples. And now the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the right hand of the throne of God 
and is ever living to make intercession for you and me. And that's the one we serve. So here's John. He, he's just, you, you hear Paul, you hear John, you hear Jude. These apostles were angry about any teaching that took away from the person and the work and the mission of Jesus Christ. So the Gnostics denied that the person whom the Christian church knew as Jesus was also the Christ. Look at this verse. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's the person who's been begotten of God. The Gnostics denied that the person whom the Christian church knew as Jesus was also the Christ. Christ is the English spelling of the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. The anointed one, predicted by the prophets, was to be God incarnate, virgin born into the human race. Just that simple. John is saying that Jesus was that predicted Christ. And that whoever embraced Jesus as the Christ, whose substitutionary death satisfied God's need for justice, and whose death made a way of salvation for all who place their faith in Him, that person who believes that has been born or begotten from above, from God. Him that begat is God, and him that is begotten of Him is you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that must mean you. Now turn to your left and say, you have been begotten of God. That's why born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're saved. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're living in your sin. Born twice, you're in His righteousness. See, this is so crucial to the whole message of the Christian faith. It's not being sprinkled when you're a little baby. It's not just uh, uh, joining a church and becoming a member of a church. None of these things save you. You've got to be begotten of God, born of God. John says that the person who loves God as his heavenly father should also love God's children. If you love the dad, you should love his kids, even though some of them are weird and bizarre. Have you ever noticed how many weird people are in the church? Look straight up at me. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the church's got some weird folks. But if they're covered in the blood, they're God's kids. It doesn't matter if you've got a natural affinity for them or not. It doesn't matter if they do the same things you do, if they like sports like you or not. If they're God's kids, we should love them, even though they are strange and weird, some of them. Now, say with me, we're all in the same family. We are. Now, he says in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know you love God's kids. If you keep his commandments. If you keep his commandments. You say, well, how is that? Well, let's look at a couple of words. When. When we love God and keep his commandments. When is from a word meaning whenever. Whenever. We exercise love and obedience towards God, our love towards the brethren is developed. When you obey God, now, now catch this, church, because this is so crucial. This is all that John's been harping on, like a broken record. Just like a like, um, magnificent monotony over and over and over again. 
He's telling us if you love God, you're going to love his kids. And if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. And every time we walk in obedience to God, it develops agape love in us. So you can, you can gauge somebody's walk with the real living God by the level of love they walk in. John, I've noticed, never measures somebody's spirituality by their gifting, by their charisma, by their intelligence, by their looks, by their status, by how much money they have. None of that. He says, here's how I know how spiritual you are, by how much you love God's kids. And that's it. If you're not walking in any love towards God, God's kids, according to John, you're very immature. Very immature. When God's people obey the commandments of God, it reveals a love for the saints. For obedience to God's commands will always place us in right relationship to our brethren. For instance, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If we live by that one simple rule, how would we be treating God's kids? I don't like being criticized. I don't like being slandered. I don't like being rejected. I don't like being dissed. So I say, well, do unto others as I would like to have done unto me. If I just live by that, I'd walk in love. But how often do we do to others things and act in ways that we would never want them to act towards us. So he says, for example, here's Paul. He says, as for myself, I am perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus that there is nothing really wrong with eating meat that's been offered to idols. Now stop right there and look at me. He's saying, if you offer an, uh, if you give me meat that has been dedicated to some stupid wooden idol that people worship, he said, I'm not going to go, ooh, cooties. Because I know the idol's dead. It doesn't mean anything to me. You might as well dedicate it to that brick wall. I'm going to eat the meat. No big deal. But he says, but if someone, a brother or a sister, believes it is wrong, then he shouldn't do it because for him it is wrong. So look at me again. Watch this. Let's say you came out of idolatry. You were raised worshiping some dumb idol. And you're still sensitive about that. God's delivering you from that. And it's a touchy subject for you. And you come along, you're hanging around with me, and you see Pastor Jeff eat meat that was offered to idols. I make you stumble. Because if you do it, your conscience is sensitive. And it's going to make you defile your conscience. And now, now watch this. Because this is meaty stuff, no pun intended. It says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you can't do with a clear conscience in faith towards God, you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do it. So if, if my conscience is clear, and I know it's just a dumb idol, and the meat is good, and, and I don't care what it was dedicated to, I'm hungry. But if you're sitting here and I know that you just came out of idolatry and I eat it, you're watching and you might go, oh, well, if he did, then, then I will. But I'm having a conscience problem with this. But here goes anyway, and my conscience is defiled. Then God says, that's not loving God's kids. 
so I, so I won't eat it. I won't eat it. The wheels are turning. I'm going to tell you what, some of you, you take me through Burger King, my conscience is going to be defiled. You take me through McDonald's, I don't eat that stuff. And, and I know what it is. I, I mean, I got a million questions when I get that burger near me because I know partly where part of it came from and I'm really concerned about where a lot of it came from. People say to me, oh, you know, God blesses everything. Well, I think he has a real hard time blessing some things. That's free. Now, if your brother is bothered by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you go ahead and eat it. Now, look what he says. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. If you let Christ be Lord in these affairs, read this next part with me. What does it say about God? God will be glad. Now, I don't know about you, but I love it when I know God is smiling on me. So if, if I refuse something, thinking of my brother, this is called the, the weaker brother principle. If I refuse something because of my brother, then it makes God happy. If I give up my right so I don't make him stumble, then it makes God happy. That's walking in love. If you're going to eat a McDonald's hamburger and makes me stumble, eat it in your own house. Wait for me. All right, now watch this. God will be glad and so will others. In this way, aim for harmony in the church. And what does it say we're supposed to do? Try to build each other up. The right thing to do is to quit eating meat or drinking wine or doing anything else that offends your brother or makes him sin. That's why our church, and I'm just going to tell you, our church would never uh, get behind a function that put people in the presence of alcohol. Because you know how many people struggle with alcohol? Do you know that we live in an addicted culture? And uh, there's people fighting temptation to meth, fighting temptation to cocaine, fighting temptation to crack, fighting temptation to alcohol, because it's so prevalent in our day. And it's wrong, it, like for, if we as a church had some function where alcohol was made available. Here's a brother out there, and maybe he's an alcoholic or struggles with drinking, and here's our church putting our seal of approval on something that's going to make him stumble. No, no, no. 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 I know of churches, they send out groups, singles groups and different groups, and they go out and, and alcohol is provided. I think that is a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. All it's going to take is two people in that group getting just a little bit happy, losing their willpower, and messing up together. And then the church is to blame. I think anything the church does ought to cater to people who are wanting to be free. Isn't that right? Now, you notice I didn't tell you don't drink wine, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Learn to lower the bucket into the well of salvation and learn to get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I say about it. That's what I say about it. So, no, our church is never going to do that. 
we will not make a brother stumble. If we do, then we are, have gone against the Word. You can't do that. Look at it this way. Would Jesus come up to somebody who had a trouble with alcohol, say, hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> when Jesus has brought them out of sheer hell to be free? Uh-uh. <laughs> no. All right. It's quiet in here tonight. I kind of thought it might be this way. Let's go ahead and let's keep on reading. Let's keep reading. You may know that there is nothing wrong with what you do even from God's point of view. But say it with me. Keep it to yourself. Don't flaunt your faith in front of others who might be hurt by it. Did you know this was in the Bible? In this situation, happy is the man who does not sin by doing what he knows is right. And this isn't just drinking or drugs. How about gambling? How about gambling? There are people that, that are gambling away their 401ks, gambling away their homes, gambling away their children's uh, education money. And, 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 and uh, the last thing they need is somebody in the church to say, hey, you want to go play bingo? And, and uh, here you got somebody who is on the verge of falling into a, a bondage where they could lose their life. That's why you have to be ever careful of the weaker brother. In this situation, happy is the man who does not sin by doing what he knows is right. If you do it by yourself, because you don't have a conscience problem, you didn't sin with it. But if you take a brother down, you sin with it. All right. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And what are his commandments not? Burdensome. The love of God is actually the love for God. This is the love for God. That's straight out of the Greek language. For this is the love for God. So our love for God is revealed by keeping His commandments. Our motivation for walking in the truth should be our love for God, not guilt, not fear, but love for God. Why do you get into the Word of God? Because you love God. Why do you pray? Because you love God. Why do you come to church on a Wednesday night in rush hour traffic? Because you love God. New Testament motivation is supposed to be love. Old Testament motivation was fear. If I don't obey Him, I'm a puff of smoke. But New Testament motivation is love. It's love. Not guilt, not fear, not pride, or any other thing. He says his commandments are not grievous. It's from a word meaning heavy. It's used to describe that which is burdensome, severe, stern, violent, cruel, or unsparing. Love for God makes keeping his commandments a delight, not a severe, cruel, or stern burden. Tell you what, if you get to the place where your Christianity has become a burden to you, you need to get reconnected to your first love. Because when you're walking in love with God and, and you love Him and you've got a, a living really whatever He asks you to do, it's not a burden. It's not a burden because you do it out of love. Have you noticed in your own marriage, when you're first married and the wife says, Honey, would you take out the trash? Sure, dear. I'd love to. 
are there any more bags of trash anywhere in our little apartment? And I'll take that out too. But have you noticed five years later? Honey, would you take out the trash? How come you don't do it? I did it last night. And the whole thing begins. If you don't keep the love alive, then, then everything becomes I should, I, I, I ought to, not I want to. God doesn't want us losing our first love because when you walk in your first love, whatever he asks you to do, oh, I'd be happy to. Christianity is not a burden to me when I'm walking in love. You ever notice when your kids are little, you walk in the door and they run up and grab you by the leg and it's just like Jesus Christ returned. And then by the time they're 12, you walk in, they don't even look up. You ever notice that? First love. <laughs> All right, verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Can we read that together? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Keep reading with me. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Say with me, my faith in him has overcome the world. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. That's good news. Overcomes is from a word meaning to carry off the victory or to come off victorious. That's what overcome means. The word implies a battle with the forces of the world system of evil, the flesh, which is totally depraved nature, the devil, and the pernicious age in which the saint lives and by which he is surrounded. We're in a battle every day. How many of you felt the battle today? You're in a battle. We're in an upstream fight until Jesus comes again. But now, here's what he's telling us. All of these things, the flesh, the devil, the age in which we live, are constantly attacking our life and testimony in order to bring our faith and testimony to ruin. To ruin the devil wants to ruin your testimony and ruin and shipwreck your faith. Say with me, Satan and this evil world system want to ruin you. You know, I learned a long time ago, Satan is more vicious than we can imagine. Satan doesn't care if you're down and bleeding and going down for the count. That's when he comes in to finish you off. There is not a shred of compassion or mercy or care or concern in Satan for God's children. His, his whole motive is to ruin your testimony, shipwreck your faith, and kill you. In fact, you've probably heard Jeremiah 29 verse 11 quoted often, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But we can flip that verse and we have the devil's version. And here's what it would be. Satan talking. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Satan. Thoughts of evil and not of good to ruin your future and destroy your hope. That's his solemn vow 
towards every human being. Amen. I'm so glad that I'm walking with the first one and not the second one. The word overcome is in the present tense, which means the believer is constantly, ongoingly overcoming the world. You are constantly, ongoingly overcoming the world. Who is he who is constantly, ongoingly, present tense, overcoming the world? He who believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, that's good news. Our faith is referring to our confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know how powerful it is when you say, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. There God planted in you the faith that saves. But it wasn't just the faith that saves. He planted in you the faith that overcomes the flesh and the world and this evil age and the devil and all his minions. That faith overcomes the world and everything in it. Doesn't matter if you don't feel joy or if you're not walking in total victory. He's saying the faith that is in you has overcome the world. You have been delivered from this present evil world into glory. It's just a matter of time before we're translated. So, verse 5 actually reads, Who is he who is constantly conquering the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? A heart confession that Jesus is the Christ, resulting in obedience to his word, brings to the believer ongoing victory over the world. Amen? Well, let's stand together tonight, can we? Do you hear in John that this guy was not barely hanging on? John fully believed that his faith and his walk with God made him a conqueror, an overcomer, a victor, one who had triumphed over everything the enemy sent against him. And it's true of you. It's true of you. Can you say with me, I have overcome this world in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's thank him. Lord, we just thank you right now. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom about the weaker brother. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom and how to walk in this world. Thank you, Lord God, for clearly showing us over and over again in John's letter that if we love you, we'll walk in your commandments. If we love you, we'll be growing in love. But we're not perfect, Lord, and we will never reach perfection until we're in heaven. We thank you that knowing that, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and takes up the slack where we fail. Thank you for it, Lord. Now let's just lift our hands to him, and I just want you to take a minute and just say, Lord, I receive your victory. I receive your victory. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. 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 Now, I want you to thank him particularly with the struggles that you're in right now. Some are financial. Some are marital. Some are with temptation. Some are with children. I want you to thank him right now that he's given you victory in the presence of your enemy.
and you're more than a conqueror, and you're an overcomer, according to John. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Now, some of you have a real burden in your heart about somebody who's in your life, somebody who's in your orbit, and you need God to touch them. I want you to thank Him right now that He's bigger than they are. And let's just believe God for a breakthrough right now. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Now I want you just to do this, and I'm feeling led with this, so just bear with me, but I want you to thank the Lord ahead of time that it's done. Just thank Him that it's done. It is done. We are more than conquerors. Who is He that has overcome the world and everything He can hurl at you? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Thank you, Lord. Praise Your name, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's give him a hand tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you. We praise you.